Greetings, God lovers everywhere. Uh, last week, we started sharing about how we can change our destiny by what we believe in our heart and declare with our mouth. Um, how did we come to that point? Well, remember we read uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, which says this, um, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, with that believing and confessing Jesus is Lord, we changed our destiny. We changed our destiny by what we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. In truth, we were doomed to hell without Christ because scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Knowing this, I want us to look closer at how believing in our heart and confessing affects our destiny and how it has always been true. And we turn over and look at Genesis 1 through 9. The whole earth used the same language, the same words. It came about as they traveled from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shiner and lived there. They said to one another, now you should under underline that, come, let us, let's make bricks and bake them in the fire. So they had bricks for building stone and clay for mortars. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that has its top reaching up into the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered all over the earth. In verse 5, And the Lord came down to, to uh, the city and the tower uh, the people were, were building. And the Lord said, Look, the people are united. They all have a single language. So what, what's that mean? They were all saying the same thing with the same language. And we see what they to do. They are starting to do. At this rate, nothing they set out to accomplish will be impossible for them. Now, we understand this story to be about the uh, uh, Baal and, and how confusion, God said confusion, because he said nothing they set out to accomplish will be impossible for them. Why was that? Because what they believed in their heart and then confessed with their mouth, they were at a point of believing and speaking the same thing. There was a unity that was there. And um, they were confessing they were going to build the city and build these towers. Um, and sure enough, God said they could do it. Nothing they set, the, set out to accomplish will be impossible with them, he said. Now, what happens when our confession does not align with what we believe? Can there be negative ramifications from that? Well, we read in Acts 19, um, in the New Testament, Acts 19, starting in verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and disease left them and the evil spirit went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you um, by, the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirits 
was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, I want you to, to note, they said, Jesus, I know. The word know right there means to recognize, to know absolutely, to have complete and absolute understanding. While of Paul, it says, Paul, I know, means I understand about Paul, I am acquainted with, to be aware of. But he said, who are you? Now, you know, what they were speaking didn't align with what they really believed in their heart. They had no belief. They had no understanding of who Christ was. And that way, when they were speaking it out, the consequences were very negative. So it's not just a matter of what you're speaking, but you also have to have a belief in your heart that it's going to come to pass. And in this case, it's that's actually faith. So I will tell you that throughout history, Satan has probably asked the question of men more than any other. Who are you? Satan has and continues to question men's identity. How man answers this question has established profound marks in history. How you answer will establish your future and your marks in history. What you believe in your heart and what you confess out of your mouth will establish your future. At the root of the question, though, lies this one basic answer. Know this, your identity is defined by your authority. What you know in your heart and confess with your mouth. Who are you is revealed through your testimony of what you believe and then confess. Satan did not ask the sons of Sceva what their names were. He is not asking them when they uh, received salvation or how they got saved. He already knows this information. He would have witnessed it. So what is it that he wants to know? He wants to know the same thing today. What is your authority identity? Why? Because the word authority comes from the Greek word exousia. Exousia is defined as power. So what Satan is really asking is, from what position of power, authority, are you speaking? Satan's goal from the Garden of Eden has always been to challenge God's authority and to take away your authority. His approach has never changed. We read in Genesis 1, chapter 27, um, how in, in, in the story of the first Adam, and it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In essence, what God is saying is, I am making you my ambassador representative. Rule over it. Subdue it, have dominion. But now we see in Genesis 3.1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God indeed said? A direct challenge to God's word and his authority. We see the devil's craftiness again 4,000 years later. And we can see it in Luke um, 4, starting in verse 1 through 13, as he is talking to the second Adam, Jesus. It says this, And 
Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when he had, when he had, they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him the, the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, All this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I can will give it to whomever I wish. Now, question. When was all that authority delivered to the devil? We know in the Garden of Eden, Adam had to have it to give it away. God told Adam to have dominion and to rule over. And we know he was the one that delivered it into the devil's hands. So the important point here is to remember is that God's intent was for the first Adam to have uh, authority and dominion over. Now what we're going to see is Jesus, now the second Adam, is going to have authority. Okay? So we go back to Luke 7. Therefore, if you will worship me, um, all will be yours. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. If you are the son of God, Satan came when Jesus was at his weakest. After 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan always comes when you are weakest. He comes after you are weary of battle. What was the first thing he challenged? Who are you? If you are the son of God. It was right after this event that Jesus enters the temple in Nazareth and makes this proclamation of identification. Luke 4, 18 through 12. And the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Listen to their first words. Religious people at that time would say, is this not Joseph's son? We see this again in Mark 11 starting in verse 27. Then they came against again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chiefs, priests, and scribes, and elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, they're referring to all the signs, the wonders, the miracles that are happening. They weren't interested in, you know, who are you? You are the son of God. What they're saying is, by what authority? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus goes on to confound them and, and basically say, uh, I always I will also ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, 
was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they couldn't answer him. So he said, neither will I answer you by the authority. I do these things. The devil knows the authority of Jesus Christ. He has always challenged God's authority. And in the Garden of Eden, he challenged man's authority. And Adam and Eve did not answer correctly or demonstrate that authority. They could have just as simply cast him out because they had the authority to do it. So mankind has suffered from a curse, an identity crisis for over 4,000 years. We see several examples of that you know, in the Bible, Moses, when, when God came to Moses in Exodus 3, and uh, he says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? By what authority, what authority do I have? Who am I? And God answered him and said, tell them, I am has sent you. You know, we read in Judges, we see where an angel comes to Gideon and he tells him, Gideon, this is what I want you to do, you know, uh, to go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Um, Have I not sent you? And he says, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. So you see, there's been men that have accomplished great things, but once they come to know, once they realize that they're not in it alone, once they realize they have authority, once they have delegated authority, they can reach out and they can do mighty things. So we see, you know, what Gideon thought of himself. We see what Moses thought of himself. The sad thing is many Christians see themselves today like that. The devil plants asks the same question. Who am I? Who am I? And that's what they put in the right. Who am I? A child of God. And you have great authority. In Numbers 13, we see Israel sending spies into the promised land. Their report, we see ourselves as grasshoppers. Who are we? The sad thing is that now 6,000 years later, too many Christians are still suffering from an identity crisis. Who am I? God told them who they were, told them to go in and take the land. But through the grasshopper syndrome, too many of them came back and only saw themselves as grasshoppers. Did this happen to the disciples? We read in in, uh, Matthew 26, where Peter, you know, Jesus telling Peter, what's going to happen? And Peter says, oh Lord, you know, um, even though all may fail, fall away from you, I will never fall away. And Jesus tells him, you will deny me three times. But I want you to note, but after Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, we see something completely different. We see Peter in Acts 3, 10, 3, 1 through 10. Now, Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's room was carried. Um whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. And when seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. 
So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter was exercising the authority that Jesus had sent to them, had issued them. He was the representative of Jesus Christ speaking at that time. It was not silver, it was not gold, anything of this physical world. In the name of Jesus denotes Peter's position of delegated authority, power in Jesus Christ. How did Peter know this? Well, we find out in Acts 1, starting in verse 4, and being assembled together uh, with them in the upper room, he commanded them uh, not to speak from uh, depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the, par- the uh, promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, he asked them, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you no times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, exousio, power, but you shall receive power, exousio, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now the word power there means dudamus. It means miraculous, wonder-working power. But a key word here is receive. And the received Greek word here is lambano. And lambano means to take hold of something by the hand, to use it for one's personal use. Peter experienced the authority and the power when he took hold of, when he lambanoed the Holy Spirit. He took that authority in. The question today is, what have you taken hold of, church? What is your authority identity? By what power do you identify yourself? Ephesians 1, Paul writes this, starting verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding, having been enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now that word towards right there, actually it means uh, into, indicating a point reached or entered. So it's not just towards us, his power working in us, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age. Now listen, my friends, because he said not only in this age, talking about that present age, but also that which is to come. We are the ones now. Paul was referencing this age, the future age. And he put all things under his feet and gave, uh, to be, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints? Have we 
Lombano taken hold of the inheritance God says is ours. Why? Because Romans 8, 15 says, starts with this, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Church, we need to have our hearts filled with the promise of God. Confess them into being in our life. This is the victory, our faith. Until next time, have a blessed week.